Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now. On this episode of Africa State of Mind, we have two powerhouses. It's amazing because they literally come from two different generations. They're from two different parts of the continent of Africa. And they also are both equally phenomenal and just, they're the kind of woman that every woman and girl in Africa, I believe, should want to be. So the first person is, of course, none other than Dr. Judy Clamini. She's a multi-skilled and self-made successful businesswoman. She spoke to us a little bit about changing careers and living life to the fullest. We also touched on her new book, Equal But Different. Uh, this book was pretty much based on research conducted for her doctorate in business leadership and in, investigates the intersection of race, gender, and social class in the career progression of women chief executives. Then we also caught up, we went all the way to East Africa and we had an amazing conversation with a young lady who to quote one of my friends was like we need more girls and women in Africa like her I'm talking about the Kenyan gender advocate Vivian Onau who spoke about how women who make up half the population need to be invested in or economies will not move forward these women, I cannot even begin to express how talking to both of them just made me see my life and myself a little bit different. I hope that they're going to change your mind and your point of view and just give you that urge to want to become the best possible version of yourselves. Enough talking from me. Here's what they had to say. Africa State of Mind. If you believe that your beginnings determine your end or that the system is working against you, as an African, my guest today is going to change your perspective totally and hopefully her story is going to inspire you just like it has inspired me. I'm going to start with her most important role in life, though, which is her as a wife, as a mother, and as a grandmother. Um, But before that, also, she did qualify as a doctor, practice for 13 years. Um, Her first practice was in the township, and she used to go from door to door checking in on people, um, which she really enjoyed. She then developed a passion for business, which she learned from her mom, who was a teacher, and also used to have a tuck shop on the weekends where she was helping her mom. So sweet. She completed her MBA, obtained a doctorate, and her book, Equal But Different, was a result um, of the thesis that was written for the doctorate. She sits on numerous boards, including Anglo-American, Discovery Holdings Limited, um, Woolworths Holdings, and Aspen Pharmacare. Her family owns the Luminance Boutiques in South Africa. Her many awards, I'm just going to mention a few, include her being the Africa Economy Builder Lifetime Achievement Award for 2016, Global CEO of Africa's Most Influential, Influential Woman in Business, and the Fabulous Woman Award. If you could see her, you would understand why she's fabulous like all round. She's also some kind of wonderful because she has the discipline to not only have studied medicine and practice it, but she also was able to pivot her careers in the middle of that and go into business and become really successful. Dr. Judy Glamini is an example and proof that all things are truly possible. I had to actually practice all that because I think you're so amazing. Dr. Glamini, welcome to Africa State of Mind. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much, Lee. You're so kind and thanks for having me. I was actually going to say like, I had to say this because on this um, podcast, we keep everything really real i was like as the uh, producer left i said you know what i'm gonna give a girl interview i'm gonna be like how long were you in labor for and you know the men will be rolling their eyes what do you think about (laughs) but let's not punish him we we, we can do that should we do that so tell us how long were you (laughs) for the first child kind of long the whole day the whole day yes (laughs) 
But let's talk a little bit about um, you at um, med- medical school. Uh, from my understanding, the first two years you failed, and this was where you learned your first lesson in the in failure and how it is that you can turn it around for your own good. Can you talk a bit about that? Yes, you know, uh, you get accepted at medical school. You have to have good grades, mm. and almost invariably, you haven't failed anything, and you don't associate yourself with failure, mm. especially on the ac- academic side of things. Mm. And then you get to this place, and you have no no clue where you are yeah. because the system didn't prepare us for university. They wow. prepare us to just be, have some command in English to be domestic workers. Mm-hmm. So you actually bug that uh, system and uh, you go and do a degree and you go and do medicine and then you're not prepared for what awaits you and that was hard. Mm. That was hard. But the beauty, uh, actually, that came out of that, because out of every challenge, uh, if you actually don't get destroyed, you become a better person and you become wiser. Uh, I learned humility and uh, I just understood how resilient I can be as a child. I mean, yeah. because, I mean, I was still a teenager. Yes. You know? Yeah, I think uh, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. And talking about resilience, because um, now I've been stalking you. Oh. <laughs> I can say, because you're worth the stalking. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay. So, I, I, you know, one of your talks at Gibbs, you basically said something along the line about how life is not for sissies, um, you know, and basically about how with resilience, you know, you can kind of overcome everything. Now, while you practiced, um, you had your first practice in a t- in the township, the township yes in yeah in, in Durban. okay in Durban yes and so you, for 13 years you had your practice and you were really passionate about it and then things started to go I don't want to jump into your story I'd rather yeah. you kind of tell what was the transition from you becoming you know in the medical field into the business um, field one of the things I've learned is that human beings are like an onion mm. you actually peel layers as you live your life and uh, you only realize 10 20 years down the line that what informed that changed. Mm. And uh, at the time when I left medical practice, uh, I thought it was a crime because mm. I was involved in crime. Mm. Actually, I was uh, affected by a crime. You were held uh, at gunpoint outside, outside, outside your... Gun point yeah. outside my practice. Mm. And unfortunately for me, I happened to have money in the car. They only came for the car, but there was money. We had a, a bakery, my husband and I, yeah. next to my practice. So, yeah... And uh, I then had to move out of the township uh, to town. And uh, the most boring phase of my life was actually going to that practice every day because from having an extended family, mm. where, which is what I had when I was in the township, it was just like you drive home and you're like, I didn't touch any life, you mm. know, because the medical practice is not just the science. It's not just the healing of the physical science. Mm. It's an emotional bonding with mm. your patients and their families. So I thought, you know what? There's more to life than this. Mm. And uh, the challenge, though, was that I was only qualified to be a doctor. And I had already started in business, as you know, next to my practice. There was yes. a bakery. But I'd also started a company called Gusa Women Consortium, amongst other things that I had started. Because when 1994 came with the dawn of uh, political independence, yes. it was like, yes, Amazing. I'm a citizen yes. in my country. <laughs> and I can do so much. The sky's the limit. Uh, so, yeah, I then uh, decided to go and do an MBA full time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we moved uh, from Devon to Johannesburg and uh, left uh, the business school, started working at 
HSBC Investment Bank mm-hmm. because I had started putting deals together and I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know what the key drivers are. I didn't know whether to trust, uh, trust the corporate finances or not. So I just thought, I've always believed that anything can be learned. Mm. Wow. If you actually get gaps in your knowledge, that's you powerful. realize, oh, I don't know this, you can learn it, mm. you know? And uh, that's what I did. And uh, I also believe that you actually not just destined to one career. Mm-hmm. If you're happy with that career, if you feel you're living your purpose, great for you. But uh, when you hit roadblocks and you're like, okay, I'm not enjoying this, prepare yourself for the next, for the next jump. Yes. Prepare yourself for whatever it is that you are meant to do. Mm-hmm. So that's just how I carry my life. And uh, yeah. I love that. That's so beautiful. And you know, even when you speak about, um, you know, being, you know, in the township and being a doctor, I just love the fact that for you being a doctor was more than just about, you know, getting the money. It was about the people. And it, and it reminds me, and I think, I mean, I digress a bit, but I think in Cuba a lot, like part of the reason why they have amazing doctors is because it's really because all you, ha- all you're there for is to take care of people, you know, more than anything else. And that's been lost in a lot of professions, the passion and the real heart as to why people have gone into their different. I, I think money is important, mm. but it's overrated. Mm. Uh, the more it's not the driver, the primary driver, the more you will make it because mm-hmm. you'll be having fun. Yes. If the driver is actually giving service or making a product that is just out of this world, mm-hmm. money becomes a side effect of that. Definitely. Yeah, so. so now, you, you know, you spoke a little bit about um, in 1994, you know, you were like, now you're a citizen. But your upbringing was a bit interesting because you actually grew up in the suburbs in the middle of apartheid, so to speak. Yeah. So, um, and to a lot of people, it must have been like, oh, you know, her family's so lucky. They've made it. She has every opportunity opportunity but for you the reality was kind of different if you could share that um you know you know the reality was that if you were in the township mm. you were amongst people who look and talk like you mm. if you were in the suburbs uh, you actually felt apartheid you felt the hostility heads on wow. I mean, hands on because yeah. every day you would actually realize that you're different mm. you know uh, you have these kids who actually are better than you. You have a bus stop that actually says uh, for Europeans. I can't imagine and, uh, that. It, it was crazy. Horrible. And can you imagine as a child, you're not allowed to get into through this door because it's only entrance for Europeans. It's just every day you wake up and the system says you're different and <laughs> less. And you, you know the beauty with that, uh, obviously it destroys other people. And I'm actually very tough. Mm. I'm, I'm very positive. And every day I would actually say, I'll show the system mm. what I'm made of. Mm. So that was my drive. I wanted to succeed more mm. than any other thing because I wanted to prove to the system wow. that I'm equal to anyone. Mm. Just because I'm black, just because I'm a girl, doesn't mm. make me any less. Yeah. Mm. And now I think that, you know, that story is so important, you know, um, just for Africa in general, you know, like a lot of like Africans and, you know, obviously South Africa is included in that feel like, oh, the past has really hindered me. I don't have, you know, I'm not on the same equal, equal footing. I'm not on the same equal grounding, you know, what are your, your views from that? You know, with regards to that, what can you share with people, you know, in terms of just getting past that? Because you dealt with it face, you know, face on and you've had all these challenges in your life. What, what would you share with people? 
You know, uh, even when I actually interviewed the many different women that I did mm. for the thesis Eco. and the book, mm. one of the things I realized is that someone like myself, mm. actually when you have all the odds stacked against you, it doesn't mean you can't reach your goal. Mm. It simply means you have to work twice as hard mm. and take maybe even twice longer than the person who's got a privilege. Mm. Of course, they're better off than you are, but you can change that. Mm. You just have to work harder and actually consistently and just never give up. Yeah. And now just with regards to the African girl, because, you know, a lot of, um, you know, people from around the continent will be listening. Um, There is this whole thing in Africa about girls, you know, like currently even, you know, in the world at the moment, most African girls are not educated on one hand because, you know, because of the poverty situation, but on the other hand, because families believe that girls should not be educated. It is not important, you know. And I know that there's quite a nice story with your mom, who's a teacher of all things, and your grandfather didn't want her to be educated because he didn't see the importance of women being educated for girls who are in a situation now where they're like look i really want an education they look they you know they look outside they look at the rest of the world you know african girls what would you say to them with regards to that and also for the systems that have been put in place to stop african girls from um, getting an education what are your views on that it's sad that uh, we have that conversation in 2017 it's crazy you know my Mm. mother was born in 1925 Mm. and the father felt that girls get married as you say so Mm. why educate them? So she ran away from home uh, because that was so important for her. So education is everything. Mm. It truly is everything. Uh, It's my plea that uh, as a continent especially, Mm. uh, we need quality, accessible education that Mm. prepares girls and boys Mm -hmm. for the 21st century. Uh, We need leadership that realizes that when they withhold education from the majority of the Mm. population, because we form more than 50% of the population, they're actually shortchanging the continent itself. The education of the girl child is to the advantage of not just the girl, but it's to the advantage of everyone. Mm. I think as a continent, we would do so much better if we just had three things. You know, if we had quality education that is accessible, that prepares us to be job creators, that prepares us to come up with solutions for Africa, you know, because we understand our problems and challenges better than anyone else. If we have leadership that is ethical, seventh Mm. leadership that is also transformational. Transformational because you need a transformational leader to actually see value in all the talent regardless of its shape or form, regardless Mm. of its gender, regardless of its social class, people who actually say these are the human capital that as a continent we have, which, by the way, is the biggest asset that we have. So if we actually don't invest in half of that population, then we have a problem as a continent. And, and, you know, just touching also a bit on about leadership, you know, within the continent. I mean, maybe this is a part of me because I'm a, you know, I'm a woman, obviously. Do you feel that things would be a bit different within the continent in general if we had a lot more um, female leaders, you know, at different levels, from governmental levels to, you know, different um, industries? Do you feel that things would be a little bit different, like in terms of leadership styles, you know, b- b- between women and men? Definitely. Mm -hmm. There there would be a difference because it's been shown different parts of the world, especially in developed uh, countries, because Mm -hmm. that's where they tend to do research and focus. And then they assume that it actually can be translated to developing countries. Sometimes it can, sometimes it can't. But uh, wherever you have a board 
or an executive board that has more than 25% women, the the, the, the bottom line is better for those companies. Just starting there. Mm. If you look at the McKinsey report of 2015, I think it actually shows that if we just had equity in terms of gender, we would add 12 uh, trillion US dollars to the GDP. So, but it's common sense because if, you have 100 soldiers and you only choose to use 49 and leave the 51. You undervalue them. You don't acknowledge mm. their input. Of course, there's going to be mm. resentment on the side. And that's mediocre leadership mm. because how can you only source your leadership from less than half mm. of the population? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. And now, you know, also touching on a little bit about what you said with regards to a lot of the research that has been done so we can, you know, get into your book, which I'm so glad I got a personal <laughs> copy given to me. <laughs> so um, your book, you know, um, when you were preparing the the book for the, th- you know, the research, let's yeah. say, you actually interviewed a lot of women from within, you know, the continent. And you said about how a lot of the research that comes in about women and everything comes in from the rest of, you know, the rest of the world. And then it's kind of implemented here. And we wonder, like, why doesn't it work? What sort of things did you find in research that was said about women globally that does not work in an African context? And then what were some of the, you know, more inspiring or amazing, like, nuggets that you learned from the different women that you interviewed for your book? You know, it was amazing. Uh, there were so many similarities when I looked at the women because mm. uh, my topic was on the intersection of race, gender, and social class. Mm-hmm. So I chose three social identities that I really believe have a, a huge impact on how you are perceived as a person, and they tend to coexist mm. uh, in the person. So it was quite interesting that across the different races and social classes, education, 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 that's key. But not only that, but support. You know, people that tend to do well Mm. are people more often than not that have families that believe in them. Families that say to them, you can be anything you choose to be. Mm. Because when you get out into the world and you have a lot of noise that says you are less and you are this, you are that, you actually have that anchor in you that actually says, cut out the noise, I can do it. Mm. I'm, I'm actually worth what I can achieve. So I think that those two things are critical. The third one is that the women that I interviewed, I interviewed a total of 20 eventually mm. because some didn't want to be in the book, which mm. I understood and respected, was that they had a very supportive family, a oh. supportive life partner. And most of them were married to their first husbands, oh, wow. which is also what you don't expect when at you read all, that yeah. oh, people chase career at the expense of getting married mm. or having families. They were married, most of them, mm. and they had kids, most of them. So the support system within the family, the family that they chose to have, the life partner, the domestic workers, one of the most uncelebrated uh, mm. human beings in this country. And they're so important. Yeah. They, they are the key because mm. they become the second mothers to our kids, mm. at least mine was. And the extended family uh, that actually allows us to have the career that we have. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that were very important uh, for these women. You know, my father always says to me that when people are in the middle of greatness, they don't actually understand, they can't always tell that, you know, they're in the middle of greatness. And sometimes when you're making history, I've heard, you know, people say when somebody's making history, 
they can't actually tell. It's only later than in retrospect, you're like, oh, wow, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King did this. Or, oh, wow, you know, Nelson Mandela did this. When they're in it, they don't understand it. And, and I don't know, like, how does it feel for you? Because you may not realize it, but with everything that you've done and how you've contributed to people's lives, you're in the middle of greatness and your story is going to impact many lives. How does it feel to be at the center of something that like years from now people are going to be like, you know, this woman? Sure, you're how so does that feel? <laughs> so don't say it that way. You know, this is how I see it. Mm. I wake up every day and say, I know I'm doing my purpose. I know mm. I'm living my purpose. Mm. And that's what it's about. Mm. And that's why for me, equity is so important. Yes. Because yes, the women will get married to men or within the same uh, agenda because mm. that's social uh, sexual orientation. You are your own person, right? You have a purpose as a person. Mm. And your partner has a purpose as a person. When there is an alignment on those two, then one plus one equals three. But just because you're married mm. doesn't mean that your purpose has mm. to be stopped or your purpose is less. No. God created us as equal different human beings mm. and it's important to remember that mm. you know because even when you raise the kids they come through you but they're not yours yeah. and they go grow to greatness just with your support but they are individuals mm. you know what's your favorite holiday destination because you seem like you go on a lot of holidays you're probably like yeah i love to go to monaco <laughs> your favorite actually, i i used to, it's not my favorite actually interestingly i i, I went there because there used to be this world music uh yeah the world, yes yes and it just looks so beautiful i'm like yeah. i have to go to that yeah. place i did beautiful yeah but uh i love miami Oh, it reminds me. me of Devon. Yeah. There's some similar, chilled, yeah. you know, and my best restaurant is there. Uh, I love um, Mabea in okay. Spain. Uh, Paris is pretty, but it's it's hostile. Yeah. Uh, so f for me, it's just the uh, chilled, yeah. warm people. Devon, obviously, is yeah. the best in the world. <laughs> <You're like laughs> when <Devin>. it comes to <laughs> I'm so biased yeah. from Devon. So, yeah. That's so cute. You're like, yeah, Durban is the best. And your favorite food to prepare? Oh, my God. The favorite food. I, I love I was say saying to one of my nieces uh, over the weekend that, you know, cooking is spiritual. Mm. I don't do it often. But when I do, it's just, everything. It just, yeah. You know, uh, favorite food to prepare. My husband loves my biryani. Uh, you make biryani? Yes. Okay, uh, girl. Uh, my oxtail, mm. Mm, lamb shank. Mm. Yeah, mm. These are not easy things to make. You're like, I <laughs> don't cook often, cook. but you know, biryani. I'm like, <laughs> let me check the I, recipe. I, I'm from Dublin. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing yeah no it's uh, uh, thank special. you so much dr yeah, glamini i'm like time. i feel like today is just like oh you oh, know it's amazing you, it's guys. such an honor to meet you and just keep on doing all you. that you do and also yeah. yeah if you can also let us know how you stay like young and beautiful please oh, you're so we're kind. all watching we're like oh, even the producer has a crush on you he's like ah, she's just true. <laughs> it's I don't true. believe her. <laughs> he's like no she's so hot she's oh, so hot <laughs> with all due respect to your husband but <laughs> he's just appreciated no, no, thank you thank you so much okay. Thanks, thank sure. you so much Sasha. Africa State of Mind alrighty welcome to Africa State of Mind I am so excited not just because she's East African as well you know I had to like <clears throat> you know make everybody know <laughs> the truth but because she's just a phenomenal like Vivian you are 
you are nothing short of phenomenal. Honestly speaking, the work that you've done at such a young age is just, I don't even know what to say. Okay. Welcome to Africa State of Mind. Thank you so much for having me. Now, Vivian, you're a huge advocate for um, the rights of young girls, the rights of women, the rights of you know youth in Africa in general. You know, and to a huge degree, a lot of the things that you know are discussed quite often. You know, um, around this, you know, with um, child marriages and everything, are, are topics that we hear all the time. You know, and sometimes it's, you know there's a danger that whenever we hear it, people are like, oh, okay. Here we go again, you know, and just for the season, there's a month, you know, looking at it, there's a month where we look at human trafficking, there's a month, you know, on and off. What do you think is the thing that needs to change so that it becomes more than just a topic of conversation and something where people who are really powerful can say, oh, I spoke about this for a day, you know? so that it comes to something where it actually implements change, specifically in Africa. I think, to be honest, what you're saying is very true, and uh, as I said on stage, most when it comes to the issues on gender equality and whatnot, it has always been a women's conversation. And it's just now that men are starting to become a part of the conversation. And that's really important when it comes to achieving lasting change and having some tangible action points. Um, so yes, the conversation and discussion have been there, and which is really good because then it means that people, when people say, oh, I've had, I've had, mm. it means that they have the information. Yes. And that is the first step towards the right direction, having that information and being aware of what's happening in your environment, in your community, in your family. And then the next thing is going to be the implementation. But that's also going to be important because the next thing that's going to be important is the laws and policies that we have on the ground. Mm. Because I may have an idea of what we need to do, but if the laws don't protect me, if they don't if they don't protect empower me, empower me, yes. exactly, it's going to be difficult to make a case to a community leader why I think it's important to invest in mm. girls' education, why I think it's important to ban um, early child marriage. And uh, I think a good example is uh, Malawi, um, that just recently, two years ago, they banned early child, mar early child marriage, and they increased the marriage age from 16 to 18 years. But then, it's, I think it's last year, um, I saw this article about uh, hyena practice mm. where girls have to sleep with this man for initiation, for the initiation into adulthood. Oh my but God. the man is HIV positive. What? Has slept with over 102 this women. Is in, this is in and he himself is very proud of the fact that he slept with more than 100 women and is HIV positive. But parents continue to take their girls to go through the initiation process sleeping with this man. So I saw the article and I quickly emailed the UN Women Executive Director, Madame Pumzile, and I told her, you have to act right now. This mm -hmm. cannot continue happening. And uh, I think she mobilized a team, called the team in Malawi, and called the government, and literally everybody was involved. And before we knew it, the president of Malawi ordered for the arrest of the guy and the banning of the practice. And for the first time, Malawi is enacting their agenda law. Um, wow. For the first time Amazing. after that case came out. So I think it's just small steps will get there, but it's also about you and I being aware of what's mm. happening in our community and reaching out to those who have the power to make a difference and actually holding them accountable. Because I kept emailing to know what's going on, what are the steps they've taken, what's happening with the case until I saw the official uh, announcement when it came from the government of Malawi. So I don't think we've had enough conversation. We need to continue having these conversations. And when people say, oh, I've heard, it means that it's good that they've heard. At least they hear it. Yeah, they know that there's something that's happening in the community that's wrong that needs to be changed. And then collectively work towards that. 
Now, Vivian, you've um, had, you know, you've obviously, well, not obviously, because I'm acting like I have, but <laughs> you've met with um, former President of the United States, um, President Barack Obama, and with Bono as well. And I remember you were quoted, there was an interview that you did where you were quoted as, uh, you know, just basically saying that it was really good to see these two really powerful men, you know, and them really using their own platforms to kind of speak about, you know, issues around girls and women. Yeah. Uh, so let's bring it back home to Africa. You know, although I guess Obama is by by <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So, do you feel that there are enough big African male leaders that are using their platforms to put their voices behind issues around, you know, you know, issues around girls, you know, going to school, issues around early child marriage, like we were discussing, issues around young people and unemployment and all that? Do you feel that that we we see enough of that? There are many leaders who are putting their voice behind it. As I gave an example of President Kagame, I know um, there's a lot of different stories about yes. him, but to be honest, he's used his, he's a very respected man here on the continent and globally, and he's used his voice to promote gender equality and to talk about empowering women. And you will see with her, his own daughter, um, I mean, I've met her at different conferences, but you will see with his own daughter, but apart from that, even his wife, but also the women leaders in his country. Yeah, he has, um, he has yeah, quite... Yeah, exactly. They're the very options. strong. They have, they have been on different panels with different of them, but they have their own voices, and uh, they have their own voices, and, and to me, I think that's a step forward. So if we come to the continent, the first person that always comes to mind is President Kagame, for sure. Okay. And now, you know, in Nigeria, uh, just to go west <laughs> a bit, I think earlier on this year, if I'm not mistaken, there was a... There was a how do I say like a campaign that was running where people were say the campaign was basically not too young to run. Yeah. And the idea around it was that you know because young people and you speak about this quite a lot make such a huge part of the population in their case in Nigeria but in Africa, yeah. you know the age limit for being allowed to run for public office should be dropped yeah. in order to see the changes needed within Africa. Yeah. I kind of think you could run for public office one day, and I'm sure many people have said that to There's you. There's too much pressure on that. <laughs> Um, you know, looking specific, do you feel that they should be the age limit should be dropped so that young young people you know should be able to run for public office? Because I know you also support the whole ethos around no youth policies without youth being involved. Absolutely. So do you feel that the age limit in Africa specifically should be dropped for it? And also with regards to how old a president can be being president when you look at corporate companies, by the time you're 65, you have to retire, yeah. and then African presidents are sitting at 18, 19, and they're <laughs> like, still there sleeping yeah. on the seat. Yeah. yeah, what are your views around that? Um, okay, first of all, they're not too young to run. Uh, it's a campaign that was initiated by uh, the former UN Youth Envoy. Okay. So it's a UN uh, campaign. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But it was very dominant during the Nigerian campaign. As mm -hmm. you know, Nigeria is one of the largest countries in mm -hmm. Africa, and the, camp and the elections really mean a lot to the continent, yes. continent at large. And I totally agree. I think, yeah, we need to, we need to reduce the age, mm -hmm. the minimum age for young people to be part of. Because we are the largest demographic, mm -hmm. and yet we are not represented when it comes to politics. Yeah, yeah I mean, then how do you expect our issues to be addressed? Because mm -hmm. the reality is politicians really use young people. Where during their campaign, they'll all tell us how they're gonna Come help us get a job. Stage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get job. I'm yeah. giving some hundred rand there, and uh, <laughs> life is good. And then probably 
if they want to showcase you uh, driving drive with us and all that stuff it looks good for that period but that's not sustainable that's not lasting mm -hmm. that's not the chain that we are talking about for young africans but i feel like if we have a seat at the table and you're part of the decision making mm -hmm. then we'll be able to tackle these issues that we are talking about mostly when it comes to youth unemployment and underemployment in africa because that is the major crisis that we are having and that's the advantage that the militant groups have Mm. Over us because wow, that's powerful. Yes, have over us because everybody wants the to put a food on the table. Everybody wants mm. to have a decent life, but you feel neglected by the system. But then there's a this parallel system that is offering you good life, is offering you food on the table. Mm. You can take care of your family. I mean, it's all about survival. Mm. At the end of the day, I'm gonna opt for that parallel group to the government that's supposed to be providing for me. So uh, it's important for us to reduce the minimum age if our issues as young people have to be really addressed. And then when it comes to, yeah, it's interesting, exactly, because the median age on the continent is 19 years old. Yeah. The median age for a politician is 65 years old. So wow. you can look at how the big of a gap we have. Mm. So um, the reality is it's, it's going to be hard to cap that right now yeah. because of what's going oh, on. Yeah. yeah, exactly what's going on and what you see happening. But if we can fast, the first step is to lower the number mm. so that we can have more young people in politics. Then... Slowly by slowly, we can change the system. When you're already inside the system, yeah. we can't have everything at once. Definitely. And just to wrap up, because I know everybody like doors are knocking, they're like, we want Vivian. Um, just to wrap up real quick, um, with regards to the, this year and Kenya and the election, the re-election, yeah. you know, and possible, you know, re-election, re yeah, exactly. you know, what role do you feel that young people have played in this entire process, you know, with it? Because, you know, there's never been a situation where an African leader, you know, I stand to be corrected, has become president and then the court says, no, sorry, never. it's never happened, never. you know? Yeah. What role do you feel that the young people within Kenya have played um, with regards to this entire election, re-election process? Um, that's a very good question. To be honest, regardless of which party I belong to, mm -hmm. um, I think... Kenya made a historical mark Definitely. when they announced the presidential elections. Um, and uh, that shows that the democracy can work if we want it to work. Mm. I think we are always entangled in a lot of corruption that makes us lose our credibility and even lose credibility in the systems that we have in place. But when it comes to Kenyan politics, definitely young people played a very key role. I think with access to information, now more and more young people are aware. Mm. And uh, for the longest, we've been taking advantage of. And because we are seeing our issues not being addressed, now we want to take issues matters in our own hands and be able to try and see how we as young people can address our own issues. So I think the pressure that the politicians had from the young people, they had to act. Mm. And I think the court seeing young people running on the street, not because they want to run on the street, but because nobody's listening to them and this is the best way that they can get their voices out. I think something needed to happen. I know we just had our re-election right now and uh, the country is still in some instability because nobody agrees with the re-election. But um, I think it's a step forward for democracy, it's a step forward for justice, and it's a step forward for accountability and transparency. We still have a long way to go, but also, once in a while, we should sit back and uh, applaud ourselves for the small wins exactly. as we keep working for the bigger win. Exactly. And what food do you miss from Kenya? Because, you know, when I'm not in Uganda, I think about Matoke, Binyewa, Chapo, you know? It just is not the same. What do you miss? Because, you know, East African food is the best. Please tell everybody. I know, that's true. It's Nobody, true. Ex, ex, okay, so I went to Lagos and then I go, our food is the best. It's like, like, I don't no. know what you're talking about. It means you haven't traveled. Yes. 
Seriously, yeah. Uh, so no, I cook myself. So yeah. I cook pilau, I cook oh, chapati, nice. oh. I cook ugali. Please, I cook can I come and visit you when I'm just like? Oh, yeah, when I'm not traveling. Yeah, when you're not trying to have more time, I'll cook for you. But no, no. Also, Vivian, it's been an honor to have this interview and just keep making everybody proud. Honestly, I could say a hundred and one thousand things, but I think everybody said a hundred and one thousand things to you before. You. you already know, and you're in the middle of history and greatness, and yeah. We'd like, would love to see what the world is going to say about you soon. And when you run for president, yeah. and if you need a campaign manager, I expect you all to be there. Yeah, they yeah. like, you know, people. <laughs> thank you so much. For no, me. thank you so much for having me, and thank you for this opportunity, and thank you for this conversation because I think we need to have more of this because this is how change happens. When you start having the conversations, then people become aware, and then that's when they know where to come in and what role to play. So thank you once again. I thank really you. appreciate it. Thanks so much, Vivian. Thank you. Africa State of Mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Africa State of Mind. On the next episode of Africa State of Mind, we catch up with Nobel laureate Professor Wale Shoyinka and entertainment mogul Russell Simmons. Thanks for listening. Be sure to catch us on Africa State of Mind on Twitter, Africa State Mind. Join the Facebook group, Africa State of Mind. And also don't forget to subscribe uh, to this podcast on iTunes and be sure to tell all your friends, Africa State of Mind, the future is Africa, the present is Africa because Africa is excellence.